Heat Wave. Phrases I found during the research today that I didn't follow up and I want a gold star for it. Though not to Flaubert, to him, Egypt was where he bedded nubile young women after watching them dance the popular striptease, The Bee. How? Another phrase, Taylor had founded the Norwich Science Gossip Society. I want to know more about it. Yeah, yeah. How did you not? Because I had about an hour before we started recording and I had to find out about the subjects that they came up during. Oh, okay. I'm so so proud of you, but I want to know about this bee-themed striptease. I know, but at least that's easy enough to remember to Google later. Do you want to hear about something completely unrelated to the podcast, but vaguely amusing? Yes. Are you aware of the current Broadway drama surrounding Funny Girl? No, I don't know what that is. Okay, okay. So, Mm. Funny Girl is a musical. Mm. It was originally on Broadway in like the 1950s, 40s. Starring Barbara Streisand as Fanny Bryce, based on a true story. Fanny, And this is important to the story that both Barbara Streisand and Fanny Bryce are Jewish. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very famous musical. It's the one that Don't Rain On My Parade is from. Okay, yeah, I know that one. Okay, so you've also seen Glee, yes. some of Glee, yes. because I made you watch it. Yes. So you're aware that the main character in it, Rachel, played by Leah Michelle, is really obsessed with the music- musical Funny Girl. Yes. Oh, sorry, and ends I up, didn't mean to shout that. <laughs> no, no. And ends up performing in a Broadway revival of it, mm-hmm. which was completely fictional in the show because in real life it had never been revived for Broadway since its original run until like this year. Okay. The whole reason Rachel from Glee is obsessed with Funny Girl and blah, 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 is because Leah Michelle, who played her, is obsessed with Funny Girl and blah, blah, blah. Right. So when the revival got announced, everyone was like, oh my God, are they going to cast Leah Michelle? But right. they didn't. They cast <gasps> Beanie Feldstein. I don't know who that is. Uh, what we do in the shadows, she's the girl that Nadja turns. Yep. Yep, there we go. She's also in Booksmart and lots of other things. Cool. And this is very exciting for people because uh, there's not a lot of queer plus-size women playing lead roles on Broadway. So she was supposed to be in Funny Girl up till September, mm-hmm. but she got kind of bad reviews and the show didn't get nominated for any Tonys. And then she announced that because of some production decisions, she was leaving the show early. Mm-hmm. Like, are things not getting nominated for Tonys? Like, does that matter a lot? It yeah. seems like if it's meant to be this prestigious award, surely most things wouldn't be. I think it was just kind of assumed. I guess it was so hyped that, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was hyped and stuff. And I think it wasn't just not getting a t- the Tony at nom, but also like there were a lot of bad reviews. I'm not going to voice an opinion whether it's bad or not because I've not seen it. Fair. So Beanie has basically been pushed out by production. And then they did a casting announcement. Guess who's now going to be playing Fanny Bryce in Funny Girl? Barbara Streisand. Well, well no. <laughs> Leah Michelle. <laughs> but the funny, well, the two funniest parts of this is A, Jane Lynch, who played Sue Sylvester, is also in this revival. Oh, I like Le- her. Yeah. Leah Michelle gets announced. Jane Lynch leaves the cast. I did hear that Leah Michelle was a twat. Yes, there was lots of stuff going around. She's a twat. She's also. <laughs> I did get into some YouTube drama about her ex co stars just bitching about her. <laughs> Especially lots of racial microaggressions. Anyway, so yeah, so Leah Michelle gets cast, Jane Lynch immediately leaves. And of course, this has brought back the original conspiracy theory that Leah Michelle can't read. So I just, I'm having a lovely time on the internet right now. It's great fun. <laughs> It's just one of those really fun, I have no skin in this game, slightly niche mm. dramas that's taken over my TikTok and I'm having a great time with it. I really like Broadway drama, but I'm just not interested in seeing any of the shows and that does make it better. I'm kind of, 
interested in seeing some of the shows, but also know that like 90% of them I'll just never get the chance to unless they get a West End transfer and that only happens to like the huge ones. Okay, okay, okay. If you could see any Broadway show alive or dead, what would it be? Oh, obviously, Funny Girl starring Leah Michelle, quite soon. <laughs> obviously. No, I know it's a bit like not as good as blah, 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 but I would have quite liked to see Hamilton with the original cast. Blah, blah, blah was a fantastic show, but so was Hamilton. So. Or, you know, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. Like, I genuinely would have loved to have seen that in its original because I feel like the, the cast recording probably doesn't do it justice. No. Right, cool. Um, do you <sighs> want to make a podcast? Yeah. Hello and welcome to the True Shall Make You Fret, a podcast in which we are reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series one at a time in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen. And I'm Francine Carroll. And this is part two of our discussion of the truth. Yes. The 25th so Discworld novel. Love it. And it's our 90th thing. episode. And our 90th official episode, which is a which delight. I like, to, I like to mention the number whenever we hit a round one. And it also means like it. in 10 episodes time, we're going to hit uh, the century. The century of the truth shall make you fret. What a delight. Just uh, to let listeners know, part two runs from page 146 in the Corgi paperback with, uh, it sometimes seemed to William that the whole of Ankh-Morpork was simply a mob waiting to happen and ends on page 301 in the paperback with, I'm going to see a man about a dog. Two very good quotes. I'm delighted by it. Uh, Note on spoilers before we get started. This is a spoiler light podcast. Uh, Obviously heavy spoilers for the book, The Truth. But we will avoid spoiling any major future events in the Discworld series, and we are saving any and all discussion of the final Discworld novel, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there so you, dear listener, can come on the journey with us. As part of a stampede of terriers, livestock, and a parrot with dog written on the side. God, I love that parrot. Me too. I really want to draw that parrot. I think that's what I'm going to do. Follow up. We've got things to follow up on, haven't we? Do you want to start? Do you want me to start? Oh, I'll start. I've got a couple. Uh, Neris on Patreon has told me that it is derogate, not as I knew it was not, but enjoyed saying repeatedly to Rog. Thank you, Neris. <laughs> Sonder Vogel on Reddit has told us a little about the motto of the Order of the Garter, which I mentioned as the strapline motto, whatever, on the Times. The phrase supposedly goes back to Edward III, who founded the Order in the 14th century. He wanted to found an order of knights, some say to get the throne of France, hence yellow and blue, and had a ball. So one legend goes that the Countess of Salisbury, whom he was in love with, lost her garter during a dance and he gave it back to her to the amusement of the knights and other people present. His response to it was the shame on him who thinks ill of it. And in one version, he wore the garter himself, hence the name and motto. Another legend ties it back to Richard I, who made his knights wear garters round their legs in the Battle of Acres, which Edward III may have recalled too. There too, the ill thought may have been connected to his claim on the French throne. I love it. Thank you, Sonder. May I call you Sonder? And finally, a couple of episodes ago, I was trying to remember what the local birthday announcement rabbit and Devon was called, and I asked Jack, and he was called Gus Honeybun. And while I was trying to find a picture of him to send to Joanna, because he's terrifying in a cute way, uh, I found the wonderful headline, Gus Honeybun would send coded messages to the LGBT plus community. Apparently, Gus Honeybun used to read out cards from Auntie Stella. The information within would uh, hint at people where parties were happening. Amazing. Yep. Gus Honeybun, a true gay icon. Absolutely. I'll uh, I'll link to that in the show notes, listeners, so you can look upon his iconic 
scary face. Very iconic. I'm very glad I don't need to dress up as him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to find out when your husband's birthday is. <laughs> um, I have things to follow up on. Well, and letters to the editrix. Well, I know feminizing I love how you've got such, a like a, a, such a, a loose relationship with gender, but you will very much claim the badass suffix. Yeah, because it's cool. It is. Also, I was thinking about it the other day, and obviously it sucks because it's not like one is masculine, one is feminine, so much as one is default, one is feminine, and I dislike that in general. And the only time where the feminine uses the default is dominatrix, which is sex work, and that says horrible things about the patriarchy. But also tricks sounds really cool, so I'm going to use it. Yep, cool. Silly rabbit Good. tricks are for kids. Anyway... Uh, from Tom. Kind of random American pop culture reference in there. Very good. <laughs> Tom in Munich uh, emailed us uh, and said lots of lovely things. Thank you, Tom. But Tom has a signed book proof copy of The Truth Ooh. that's sort of like a, a pre finished, edited, bound version that's still got typos and things in it. Huh. Uh, with a couple of pictures, including on the first page. See page zero 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 and onwards in the author's note. But Tom also um, asked the question: Do you know how many Pratchett book proof versions exist? Um, I don't know much about publishing, so I don't know how common this is, but I assume they are around. Um, and said it would be fun to compare versions of each book and find the last small mistakes not caught by the man himself. I say it would be fun. I would find it fun, but I'm not sure anyone else would. I would. And I feel like that goes for a few of our listeners. If any of our listeners have book proofs or know of the locations of them, let us know. We'll make a spreadsheet. Cool, cool. And uh, Genevieve from New Zealand sent us greetings. And apparently the Morporks say hoo-hoo as well. Thank you. Hi, Morporks of New Zealand. Hoo-hoo. Morporks. And Genevieve was pointed out my pronunciation of Saccharissa probably is right because it's quite possibly etymologically linked to saccharin. Oh, like sweet. Like oh. twee and sugary. Good, yes, good job. And uh, Angels15 on Twitter sent us an amusing couple of tweets. Humorously shaped vegetables been playing on my mind. Awoke this morning with the memory of Esther Ranson and a bloke in evening dress and thick, dark-rimmed glasses. Hmm. Google and here we are. That's Life was a BBC TV show that ran from 73 to 94. Esther Ranson is the main presenter. And there was a section in it that was devoted to unusually shaped fruits and vegetables. I say. Now, I did look it up on YouTube and I couldn't find any specific vegetable sections. So instead, I've just linked to a really funny video of a stuffed cat from the show. That's right, okay. life. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's not just like a random taxidermy video. And lastly, before we start talking about the truth, because we've rambled quite a bit, our very, very lovely listener, Atalanta, who has been with us from, I think, the very first episode, is going through a very rough time at the moment and possibly finding themselves unhoused. Atalanta is also the one who has the amazing Cats Boston and Slarty Bart Fast that we love deeply. So Atalanta is doing a GoFundMe right now. We're going to link to it in the show notes. If anyone's got any spare pennies, it would be very appreciated. Support is always good. Mutual aid. And we promise we are not going to make a habit, but we like mutual aid and helping each other because lovely community that we've got. Anyway. Yes. We're allowed to talk about the book now. Okay. Do you want to tell us what happened? Yeah. Do you want to tell us what happened previously? So, so what I've done is written a set of headlines, which gives the vague overview, because I think really I've given up on trying to be helpful with these. Yep, cool. <clears throat> Previously on The Truth, dwarves turn lead to gold. Wordsmith forges new business. Pressing issues in Ankh-Morpork. Miss Bigot spot despot doppelganger. 
Thugs not invading city, what reports. Anonymous bigwigs plot patricians' downfall. Slant not on straight and narrow. Veterinary, villain or victim. Imagine them spinning around with the headline, you know, that animation. Yeah, I'm also hearing all of them in Matt Berry's voice. I did kind of put that that yeah. cadence on it. I didn't mean to. It's just that sounds, that's how authority sounds to me. What, Matt Berry? Yes. Doing headlines. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's fair. I respect that. <laughs> headlines! <laughs> you should tell us what happened in this section, though, in a slightly more useful way. I'm going to try and be useful. I mean, it promises. Um, okay, in this section of The Truth... Ang Morpork mobs at the palace as Detritus guards the gate and William writes his way in to chat to Vines and Carrot. Drumnot's been stabbed and Veterinary appears to have confessed before being found unconscious by a loaded horse. He, as in, he was next to the loaded horse. The loaded <laughs> horse didn't find him. I didn't re- read this before I read it out. William deworded it. William deworded it. The facts may be facts, but they're facile and feel fictional. Implicit permissions and an auto incident see William into the Oblong office where Cheery's inspecting the crime scene until a dark light interruption gets William kicked out. Back at the paper, the story write-up starts until Slant and Carney arrive for the shakedown, unfortunately missing the patrician signal on the charter as the city seems leaderless. William goes to press. Saccharis has been invited to Lady Selakai's ball and William offers to get her dressed as Gaspode answers the question, who watches the watchman watching William? Vines is stressed and Waffles is AWOL as William visits the watch, interviewing an embarrassed drumknot and making wolfish assumptions. Odds are good he won't last the week. Pin and Tulip chat aftermath and an ankle bite as the paper finds itself out of... No, as the paper finds itself out of paper. Sorry. Oh, I like that it went on a little journey there, though. (laughs) It went on a journey until it ran out of itself. It was like an eat, pray, love thing, but... (laughs) William hires writers and a slant sense pin and tulip dog hunting. William strikes a deal with the King of the Golden River. Otto has a moment and Saccharissa sees flames in the dark light while photos from the Oblong office show two veterinaries. A new paper with not quite news arrives on the scene. The new firm are foundering until they spot an ad in the Times, a reward offered for news of a missing dog. At a mystery meeting, Mr. Scrope is to be elected and someone wants the times dealt with, while late at night William weighs the finances and realises Vetinari couldn't carry that damning evidence. William and Goodmountain discuss turning lead into gold. After breakfast the next day, William takes a shortcut through some stables and the mysterious deep bone takes the time to tell him he might get close to waffles. Multi-story stables. <laughs> I'll talk about those. Okay. <laughs> At the office, every animal in Ink Morpork and their respective owners are waiting for a reward. Brother Pin and Sister Jennifer arrive to help, and William's held subtly hostage as they nab the terriers, and Otto takes a picture, losing his head in the process. Vimes arrives to inquire about a strange stampede and chats timelines as they discuss the soon-to-be-elected scrope, and a pardon for poor old veterinary. Terriers are thrown in the river, and with a paper to get out, a doubting William goes for a walk. I'm glad that I know that practice talk so extensively about the solidity of the Ankh River because I wasn't worried about the dogs. Now they'll be fine, they'll bounce. Next up, helicopter and loincloth watch. And of course, Francine, if you'd read the latest edition of the Ankh Morpork Inquiry, you'd know that helicopters and loincloths have been seen in the city in abundance. Oh no, I'm sorry. I didn't I didn't I didn't think of that. I didn't no, I didn't all have over the shop. on me. <laughs> all over the shop. <laughs> Ankh Morpork shopped in helicopter loincloth rumpus. 
There we go. Is a rumpus or a fracker? Fracker, fracas. Look, this is the inquiry. We don't have time for that kind of nuance. Do you want to do your favourite quote? Yes. Talking about Mr. Windling. The table dickhead. Yeah, the table dickhead. Thank you. The best way to describe Mr. Windling would be like this. You were at a meeting. You'd like to be away early, and so would everybody else. There really isn't very much to discuss anyway. And just as everyone can see any other business coming over the horizon and is already putting their papers neatly together, a voice says, If I can raise a minor matter, Mr. Chairman, and with a horrible wooden feeling in your stomach, you know now that the evening will go on for twice as long with much referring back to the minutes of earlier meetings. The man who has just said that and is now sitting there with a smug smile of dedication to the committee process is as near at Mr. Windling as makes no difference. And something that distinguishes the Mr. Windlings of the universe is the term, in my humble opinion, which they think adds weight to their statements rather than indicating, in reality, these are the mean little views of someone with the social grace of duckweed. I feel like Pratchett wrote Mr. Windling after a meeting. meeting. <laughs> uh, what's your quote? So my quote actually appears, appears twice in oh. this section. Very short quote. It's a very short quote. It's on page 179 and page 182 okay. in the uh, in the call you paperback. This is the truth shall make ye fret. Is it the yes. name of the thing? The Fuck name yes. of the thing's in the thing. The name of the thing is in the thing. It's our thing. The name's in it. It was in, in, in the not, name of our not thing only that, it was in printed with beautiful surroundings with the, the florid with, with a fruit salad header. on it. Yeah, with a fruit salad. <laughs> in case Podcast with a fruit salad side. It's yes. very necessary. So yeah, that is that is where we got the title. For new for new readers. Yeah, finally we got there. The mystery's been 90 episodes plus all the bonus shit. Not gonna Nonsense. lie. If I could have gotten away with it, I would have called the podcast The Truth Shall Make You Frep. But that really wouldn't have made sense to anyone who yeah. wasn't intimately familiar with this book. We also get The Truth Shall Make You Fred in this section, which yeah, none of us want to be Fred. No. Not, nothing wrong with Fred. Any Fred's listening? Well, I was thinking specifically of Fred Colon. Oh yeah, there's quite a lot wrong with him for sure. Yep. Anyway, don't fret, fret or Fred, listeners. Now you know. Now you know that the truth shall make you fret, and it will. It's the name of the thing in the thing. All right, I promise not to do this for the whole episode. Okay, we done. Cool. We're gonna be uh, normal. We're chill. We're cool. We're totally. normal. Normal chill. The thing human the thing. people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, quick, I did wonder if I needed a backup quote in case I couldn't just be really excited about the title and the name of the thing and the thing. So I'm going to throw in Sneedle Flipsock from when the uh, pneumatic speaking tubes weren't working properly. It just delights me how good Terry Pratchett is at putting random syllables together in a way that makes me laugh. And Sneedle Flipsock is my new favourite. Sneedle Flipsock is indeed. Sneedle Flipsock. Obviously. obviously it's also what I considered thing. naming the podcast, but I felt like it was a bit too obscure. Did you? No. Okay. Should we talk about characters? Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Like that. Cool. Okay. Uh, I'm going to briefly mention Cheery. She only gets a little cameo, uh, but it was fun seeing her reaction to the dark light. Like we've seen the dwarfs within the press reacting to it, but it's kind of nice to know like how big an Uberwaldian conspiracy theory it is. Yeah, conspiracy uh, theory or truth? Well, truth. But you know what? I'm, uh, Superstition. Uh, yeah. The uh, internet is poisoning your mind, Joanna. Sorry. <laughs> Why am I apologising? <laughs> Fuck you, internet. It's your fault. Um, it's nice because obviously the dwarves like uh, Good Mountain and Bodney are in theory kind of new to Ankh-Morpork. So mm. they might be, you might think they're carrying small superstitions with them. Whereas Cheery is like, 
seeing Cheery react to it is like, oh no, this is like this is our sensible dwarf who's been in the city for a while and doesn't mm. hold on to silliness and and she doesn't like it. Okay, no, this is a thing. Yeah, it's a, it was also a nice moment where uh, we got to see that William Duard knows how to pronoun. Good lad. Yes, immediately. <laughs> Self. Um, Vimes. Vimes. One of my favourite lines, again, from the book. He are not glad about being in a tent, as they say. He are not. Has he ever been a happy camper? I do enjoy when uh, when William's kind of getting the notebook out and Vimes is very, like, trying to learn how to keep a straight face in the face of this notebook. That I'll talk more about the notebook as a threat yeah. later. Yeah, he starts talking like a police spokesman quite quickly. Yeah, it was William's asking if uh, Drumlot's being tended by a doctor and mm. Vimes is doing the staring fixedly. The doctors of this city are a fine body of men and I would not see a word written against them. <laughs> and of course, it's lovely Igor from, from Uberwald growing his uh, swimming potatoes who's looking after Drumnot. I think that years of having to deal with Vatnari has probably prepped Vimes for this quite well. Yes. I think this is a nice addition to the dynamic. Mm. There's a nice line about him from Slant's perspective. Huh? The mysterious chairs are talking about what Vimes is going to do, with the, especially with Scrope being elected. Yes. And Slant says Vimes works by the rules. And someone says, well, I've always understood him to be violent and vicious. And he's like, well, yes, and that because he knows that about himself, he works yeah. within the rules. Absolutely. In, on that page as well, actually, I bookmarked that for a couple of reasons. That one and the fact that... Um, do we have Angua on here? No. And the fact that Angua has a real little sinister edge to her now, doesn't she? Yeah. There are other werewolves here, aren't there? Yes, but they won't help. There are very few of them. Sergeant Angua of the Watch is very important. They won't help strangers because she will find out. And bring the watch down on them. I believe she would not bother with the watch. So it's like, oh, Angua's got a little kingpin of the... Kingpin of the local yeah. werewolves, which I very much respect. Oh, I feel absolutely. Like. Yeah. Drumnot. Bless Drumnot. Quite embarrassed about getting stabbed, possibly by his boss. But definitely not as far as he's concerned. He knows. He knows hey. that Nari would never stab him. No, of course he wouldn't. It just doesn't make sense. It's not logical. Stupid facts. Stupid. Very stupid facts. And but how yes. and how he, he he doesn't join in with the whole oh yes horrible to wake up for Igor thing. It's like if it wasn't for Igor, I would have lost the use of my arm. Yeah, I like. I, how... I don't see how the fact that he's stitched into a very odd shape has anything to do with it. <laughs> I do enjoy how kind of straight and direct he is with William, especially when he decides to sort of dismiss him. Yeah, and do that. Oh, I don't have to talk to you. Yeah, leave me alone. We like drum not. I like Drumnot. I'm a big fan of Drumnot. Um, and going on to another one of my favourite kind of Way. characters. Yes. Love I Harry King. love Harry King. He's great. What's this note you've put in about Edward Packard Sr.? Oh, so uh, there was kind of a real life version of Harry King. Very loosely, but I think that Pratchett must have known about him because of his nickname. So Edward Packard Sr., 1819 to 1899, he was a, a businessman who developed like a massive artificial fertilizer industry in Ipswich, so fairly local to us, uh, mm. based on coprolites from the nearby Red Crag Formation. Side note, places where you could get coprolites and things like that um, used to be slangily called treacle mine. Oh, ah. cool. Um, anyway, <sighs> uh, he was nicknamed the coprolite king and the golden muckman of Ipswich. Um, so, right, right? Yeah. There's something uh, there, right? Yeah. There's definitely an overlap. 
Um, he became so prominent in the community. He served as mayor of the borough in 1968. Uh, his, his son took over from him and like grew the business, merged it with others. But um, unrelated, but fun fact, uh, Packard obtained a near complete ichthyosaur. Oh, Is that how you say that? I think so. Ichthyosaur skeleton from Somerset and presented it to Ipswich Museum where it can still be seen today. Oh, cool. We should yeah. go see the ichthyosaur. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's a cop light street in Ipswich for that reason. One of the reasons I love Harry King's character and the whole concept of what he does, this waste management business he's yeah. built, is um, I actually was reminded this the other day. I saw someone talking on Twitter about like a great world building question, if you're, especially if you're doing fantasy, is where does it all go? Uh, yeah. And I've how, seen how people like kind of work? yeah, yeah. I've seen a lot of people react with "fuck." I just didn't think of that. Yeah, and obviously, it's not something that goes to the forefront of most people's minds when they're world building. They're thinking about the climate and the religion, and I know how the prince gets out of the castle, or whatever. Yeah, and that's it. It's, not, it's not fun. Exports. You don't think about the plumbing. Yeah, but it's really weird when you start thinking about like most of the fantasy you've consumed or engaged with, and gone like, where are the toilets in Rivendell? Um, I mean, who is emptying in chamber castles, pots? You've got a better idea, haven't you? Because yeah, like we've all been around castles. Uh, certainly in the UK, you always go on school trips to castles, and they go, "And this is where everybody pooed." <laughs> be, but yeah, in like cities, towns, where yeah, yeah. what's everyone doing? Throwing yeah. out the window, Tudor style. Yeah, I feel like in Ankh-Morpork until Harry King. Yes, I think yes. in the early books, that's probably what was happening. And there were, I don't know, some drains and things. Obviously, we know we've got the streets underneath oh, yeah. the streets. Yeah. In fact, I believe we, we visit a sewer-type sewer street in... Whichever one had the gun? Men at yep. Arms, yep. I'm going to say. That sounds right. Yeah, because we, yeah, we talked about that the other day, didn't we, with the lighting the match? Yes. Yes. When we were talking about the Fifth Elephant. So yes, I enjoy the fact that waste management has a thorough use, and I think Harry King is kind of a delightful character with it. He is, yeah. Considering he's a titan of industry, he's one that I rather like. Enormous man with a pink and shiny face with a few strands of hair teased across his head. Um, hard to imagine him not in shirt sleeves and braces, even when he wasn't, or not smoking a huge cigar, which he'd never be seen without. <laughs> so that's another character you could kind of copy-paste into an oldie-timey newspaper, isn't it? He'd be the editor. Yes. He's the editor who yells at Spider-Man, at Peter Parker, rather. Yes, get Don't me tell pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Guys, it's fine. It's fine. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah, he's lovely. I love how he loves his daughters and he's like, tries to be genteel for Effie's sake. Uh, yeah, no, he's, yeah, he's, just, he's sweet. And yeah, he does, he's not he's not a bigot and he pays people, you know, all right. And Yep, he seems very nice to everyone, willing to pay a golem. Good, good, good work, Harry King. Piss Harry. Piss Sorry, Harry. King of the Golden River. <laughs> Anyway, William. William. William the word. He's got a lot going on for him this episode, hasn't oh, he? He does. He does. He's he's honing his journalistic instincts. Considering he had turned his life to porridge, which I liked as a line. <laughs> he created this incredibly dull routine for himself until his life became porridge. I respect that. Hmm. He's kind of dealing with a lot of the stuff to do with his father and like admitting to his richness in this section. Yeah. You um, get this. Sorry. You get this bit where Saccharis is talking about finding a dress for the ball and he's doing the very awkward, oh, I want to see what you look like all over. I can get you a dress. And then he very quietly says, look, my family is rich. I'm not. Yeah. And this is, we know about the chip on his shoulder, but the people around him learning about the chip on his shoulder. Yeah. 
I th- I thought it was worth mentioning the part where he claxed Varence because thinking that he'd probably met him once. Those kind of connections, like in journalism, are very useful, very important. And poshos are still very overrepresented in journalism, um, like partly for that reason, partly because it's an old boys club. And you can kind of see why when you look at it like that, and like you can just talk to a random king or whatever. But obviously the issue is, well, A, lack of representation, and B, yeah. they can, they've got the right connections, so that often means they go a bit easier on their mates. Uh, exactly. Like, for instance, getting the paper of Harry King, whatever. But, you know, that's slightly different, but still a little, little bit of an ethics question there. But it, the press must go on, as they don't say. To be fair, <laughs> like, his newsletter was going to King Verence as well. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's kind of a, did he use his family connections to set up the newsletter before it became the newspaper? Oh, almost certainly, right? Now you say yeah. it. Yeah, I didn't think of that, but... Yeah, definitely right. Because I was thinking like, oh, it's not like his posh family connection. He has it because how did he get it for the newsletter? Like that's from posh family connections. And like guys like that, I can imagine him not thinking it was through family connections though. Like he said, I no, like I didn't get my dad to introduce me. I wrote to Verence myself and this and that. I was like, yeah, but but it came with your signature. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. You have the privilege whether you want to have it or not. It's your choice to have this life. Yes, Called your daddy could stuff it all, all that. <laughs> it's a flat. Sorry. But yeah, some of the stuff where he's trying to kind of explain his dad and he's doing the, um, there should be a law against disliking dwarfs and trolls the way he does, mm. where he's explaining it to Good Mountain and yeah. sort of explaining the lesser races. And the dwarfs kind of trying to explain look, that people will look at this a certain way. And he's like, what do you call those black humans that live in Hwonderland? Well, I know what my father calls them. I mm. call them people who live in Hwonderland. Mm-hmm. Not that all my bullet points for my section of William are just father. Never do that again, Joanna. You promised me. <laughs> I did not mean it. Also, I forgot I promised you. <laughs> I don't know if you did or not, but I feel like that's something you would have done to pl- placate me slightly after the awfulness that was that fucking film. Uh, was it a series? I don't remember. God, I'm hot. It was a limited series. How am I this hot already? It wasn't that hot today. This room has just trapped all the heat now. Oh. I'm, I'm I'm just stressful for you to speak to. No, anyone would be. You're less stressful than most people. You know that. But yes, it's enjoyable seeing William's chip on his shoulder grow to the point where it's obvious to everyone. Mm. Otto picks up on it and then offers to give him some advice on women at the same time. Mm-hmm. Bless Otto. And then later on, as where you're hearing, like I feel like it's okay for us to spoil the last of the book, and that you're hearing the mysterious voice that wants the times brought down, and then says the thing that William's father always said, which is the lie um, getting yeah, out yeah, the world. Yeah. So that was a, a very heavy-handed hint, I'd say. So it's not really spoilering. <laughs> no, it's not subtle, but it's good to, as you see the chip on his shoulder grow, see the other side of it, and maybe see where that chip came from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Harry King picking up on the, oh, he's a born muckraker who was unfortunately born too far away from muck. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, sorry. Sorry, just fun side note that mudlarking still happens today. It's obviously less of a Hmm. trying to find money thing and more it's like finding really random bits of antique stuff, but uh, very much still happens. It's quite cool. Huh. Yeah, it's more like an archaeological thing now. Huh. That sounds like something I would not enjoy, but I would enjoy hearing about from someone who did it. <laughs> yes, look up Thames mudlarks. Yeah. It's such a nice word, isn't it, mudlark? I do love the sounds word Sounds like mudlark. a sweet, sweet little bird who pecks, pecks around in puddles, but no. It's people who go knee-deep in shit to find shiny things. 
Uh, the other thing I found reading this section is that I wanted to kind of make fun of William for being a bit dumb mm. uh, for things like guessing that Nobby is the werewolf. Yes. Um, and then like the bit with Deep Bone where he comes to the, aha, it must be a foreigner. Yes. And it's one of those you could make fun of him for being dumb. When it comes to Sakharissa, he is definitely a total idiot. But A, I really like that dynamic. And B, um, he's not stupid. It's just we know a lot more than him. I was thinking that when he was like going through the stupid rumours about the talking dog and the werewolf on the watch yes, and all of exactly. that. I was like, haha, but also obviously you wouldn't believe that. <laughs> we know all the ridiculousness. It's like a little wink from Pratchett. Just that yeah. little bit, yeah. It was, uh, and mm. it's fun to read it once I kind of yeah. got that into my brain. It's also just fun to see Vimes like kind of just through William's perspective because we're mm. so used to seeing either inside Vimes' head or from people who really admire him. Yeah, yeah, like Sybil or something. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think like William's like stupidity, to put it that way, is always very well framed within his actually being really observant and like a good journalist yeah. and all of that. So. Yeah, it's just it makes, and, it, and it makes it lighthearted in joke rather than yes, the book's not damage. fun at him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Huh. Oof, uh, pin tulip, pin and tulip, pin and tulip, pin and tulip, and the barbecue set that tulip is somewhat I am the delighted envy by of my ing friends. <laughs> Who's Al Fresco? <laughs> uh, and. This nearly went into little bits we liked, but I decided to shoehorn it in further up instead, which is Tulip threatening to get medieval. Uh, with a maypole, a display of country dancing, land tillage under the three-field system, several plagues, and the invention of the ing-horse collar. Which is elaborate, but I respect it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure how it translates into physical violence, apart from possibly the horse collar. But I don't know, the maypole can get pretty pretty. Violent. Oh, that's true, actually. I know, now you said it. That's another Pulp Fiction one, isn't it, right? Get medieval on your ass. Yes. Yeah. Um, but Pratchett changed the spelling. Didn't change the spelling of medieval, because that's the American spelling, but did change the spelling of ass. That's fair. Because ass is a sad, flat word. <laughs> it's not if you say it Devonianly. Ass. Awful. All that. Oh, yeah. yeah asshole. Yeah. Asshole. Yeah, no, I'll allow that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I do also like the bit where they're robbing the Omnian temple and getting mm-hmm. hold of their robes <laughs> yeah. for the... Um, <laughs> And he finds the candlestick and it's like this whole antiques roadshow bit of have you got the box it came in and <laughs> my lord, we didn't didn't realise. It's a beautiful little bait and switch, isn't it? Where it, it looks for a second like Mr. Tulip's gonna stop Mr. Finn from hitting the priest because what kind of person are you to hit a priest? That's obviously that's my moral line in the sand. It's like, what kind of man are you to use a beautiful candlestick as a blunt instrument? <laughs> I just read it, and especially when the priest starts looking for hopeful and it was in furniture and old, we kept it for sentimental value. Like, I heard the Antiques Roadshow theme tune and smelled like the Sunday early evening boredom. I did not, but after I read the annotated Pratchett file, I felt silly for not. We used to watch it religiously every Sunday after our Sunday roast, so it ah. is very ingrained in my brain. Yeah, I only ever watched it when I was off school, sick or something, so... um I have like a weird Pavlovian reaction where like every time I hear the theme tune, like I smell gravy. Oh. Because we used to have it like, it's yeah. all part of one memory. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Which is very weird things to be associated. Anyway. Gravy and God, antiques. Sorry. Classic gravy and antiques. 
Uh, Otto. Poor Otto. I felt so bad for him when his iconograph broke. I know. And the little bit where they're trying to work out if they can take pay cuts and things. And he's like, can I have this massive, exciting new camera? No. All right. I want some money for expenses then. This is a weird job. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a new outfit. Has he? Yes, he has. He's got the old photographer. He's got the photographer thing, but made in black with a red silk lining and tails. Mm. Uh, So I also do need to make that outfit. Otto Shriek cosplay could be pretty fun. That would be a fun but one. Carrying that camera around is going to be a pain in the ass, isn't it? The 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 bit where he almost break falls off the wagon, I found very intense. I think he wrote it very well with the whole yeah. What's going to happen? You really can't tell for a second there. And then Sakarissa kind of showing her loyalty to her new friend with the he wanted to and he didn't. That's the point. Even though he'd just been going on about the heaving bosom, Sakarissa's very very. Good sort. Good egg. She's a very good egg. Speaking of eggs, I forgot to mention during my quote uh, the bit about the dwarf hitting the top of his egg with an axe, which is unforgivable of me. I do apologise. It was the very calmly getting the axe out first. That's a really good kind of <laughs> counterpoint. Uh. <laughs> um, there is also just terrible cheesy line that I love when Good Mountain is telling Otto to stop with the dark light and says, I don't want any more of these prints of darkness. Oh, there's been some there's been some puns, Joanna. There has been punning. What is next is Gaspode. Gaspode. Gaspode I see we've got two dog. separate bullet points here, but okay. Gaspode. I wasn't sure if we were gonna try and keep the mystery alive. About I think Gaspode anybody who doesn't know bone. who Deep Bone is by this point in the book. <laughs> I'm no, I'm not gonna make fun of them, but you know. <laughs> is it William to word levels of observation? Yeah. <laughs> Except we had the background info. <laughs> Maybe they haven't read the book. No, the rest of the book first, yeah. <laughs> but is William thinking on this uh, urban myth? You, you just mentioned all these stories that he thinks are clearly silly, and including the dog in the city that could talk. Mm. And the description of the dog in front of William didn't look as if it could talk, but it did look as if it could swear. Yes. <laughs> But of course, yes, Gaspader's Deep Bone, which is a reference to Deep Throat. And I literally have never noticed before this read that the livery stable is multi-story. Yeah. I don't know no. how I completely it, yeah. <laughs> went past that Deep Throat line. They put it, the, his message across. Yeah, they and did meetings in multi-story yeah. car parks. Yeah. Which, which is just, are, are just creepy places. Um, they really are. Especially because of American dramas. I've never really felt unsafe in a multi-story car park around here but if i were ever in america i would not enter one because that's where people get killed in yep. all of the cop shows i watched that's what i, I mean, used to watch them on a sunday night like ncis whatever we did that when i was a bit older i had a huge crush on the goth girl from ncis because yeah. of course i did yeah. <laughs> anyway yes mm. that's a fun little reference i enjoy that cool locations Locations. I've only put these in basically shoehorn in little bits. I like, we already talked about Lanka and the clacks to and from Verence, but I do enjoy seeing the story in the inquiries. I'll bet a thousand dollars that's not true happened in Lanka. I'll bet a hundred dollars that's not true. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> it, it has been explained. It is an ominous place. It is. Portentous. When it doesn't omen, then it's more portentous somehow. 
Uh, the Clacks reverence women of Lanka not to repeat not inhabit bearing snakes. Stop. Children born this month. William Weaver, Constance Thatcher, Catastrophe Carter, all plus arms, legs, minus scales, fangs. <laughs> Which is a wonderful thing. And also, it's lovely to get an update of the uh, from the from the stars of Lords and Ladies. Yes. Side have stars. <laughs> Carpe Joculum was the last time we saw them. Yeah, but they weren't, you know, falling asleep by fairy circles. By no, that point. very true. <laughs> it's nice to know. Lesson. Catastrophe Everyone's Carter, beautiful, right. beautiful name. Yeah, I might change my name to that. Um, and Uberwald, when we're getting uh, Otto's explanation of how the dark light works. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, psychotropic. Yes, I under- <laughs> Uberwald has psychotropic scenery. Um, if I was to say something portentous like the dark eyes of the dark mind, there would be a sudden crash of thunder. And if I was to point at a castle on a towering crag and say yonder is the castle, a wolf would be bound to howl mournfully. It's true. And obviously, we feel like we need to acknowledge at this point that the whole thing with dark light is that there's no actual present because time is infinitely divided into past and future. And that sounded like physics, so I stopped reading. Quantum. Is the note quantum. I made there. <laughs> My note quantum. for that says quantum. <laughs> anyway, that's the only reason I put any locations in. Nice, cool, good, well then. Little bits we liked. Muckraker. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed uh, Harry King's kind of internal monologue about William, as you, as you said, the muck, uh, muckraker is too far from, too far from muck. Um, but, Oh my gosh, I've scrolled all the way down. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, it's a double meaning because Harry Will- Harry King recognises William as a kindred spirit, as a muckraker, which on Roundworld, of course, is slang for a journalist. Yes. Uh, later, reporting on fire, William feels like vampire, which is also slang for journal on Roundworld. So I just thought that was nice. Particular kinds of journalists, though. I feel like we should do a do a not all journalists. I don't know. The private private eye refer to themselves and all other journalists as hacks, and I quite like that. So <laughs> self deprecation like is uh, is a good thing to ha- to to be good at. Uh, wow, Whew. I I'm a writer. <laughs> Me too. I've known some words for some time. I keep saying that. Really, I think my heart is in sub editing, but no make most of my money off writing still. I'm um, not going to derog your language skills, Francine. Thank you, Joanna. <laughs> um, wallpaper words. Yeah, speaking of uh, language skills. I just, I like this as a little idea. I didn't try and come up with lots of other examples, but um, Mr. Slant saying, clearly we cannot get a signature from a man in prison. That's a wallpaper yeah. word. When people say clearly something, that means there's a huge crack in their argument and they know yeah. things aren't clear at all. Common sense would dictate as another one you see on the internet a lot. Yeah. Uh, stands to reason as one that Pratchett likes a lot. <laughs> it, it's a cousin of I'm just asking or in my humble opinion. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, not a very thick disguise. <laughs> This is that cheap substantial paper thin wallpaper? Not a very substantial disguise. Oh yeah, so the animal witnesses bit. Yes. Um, I didn't go looking for a whole bunch of round world examples because we've got lots to talk about. Uh, but in Ankh Morpork, uh, pres- legal precedents uh, put on trial at various times: seven pigs, a tribe of rats, four horses, one flea, and a swarm of bees. <laughs> 
You need what you need granny in to interpret. But I did look at it in um Annotator Pratchett, who directed back to I think Men at Arms or one of uh, Guards Guards when a similar mm-hmm. conversation took place about animal witnesses. And one of the round world examples that annotated Pratchett provided, and my favourite. In 1713, a Franciscan monastery brought the termites who had been infesting their buildings to trial. Good grief. And a Brazilian court ruled that termites had a valid prior claim to the land and ordered the monks to give the termites their own plot. Ha. I love that. <laughs> how the fuck uh, did that happen? <laughs> like, how did the know. court... How... <laughs> wow. Okay. That's good. I like it. I want to know who insisted they took him to court over it. Really don't know. Like, I feel like there's probably a lot more context to that case, which makes it less funny. So I don't want to know. Okay, that's fair. That's unlike you not to follow the termite hole all the way to the bottom. I also didn't allow a lot of time for episode planning. That's fair. I think it was uh, that conversation that we had in that book. You told me about the time they hung a monkey as a Frenchman, right? Yeah, the Hartlepool monkey. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Oh, Zutalo. Sorry, my little nephew's about to start doing French at school, so I was telling him all the French I know. So he now knows how to say there's a frog in the bidet. Okay, good, right. No, yeah, no, <laughs> not all the French I know. Um, oh, yeah, sorry, headlines, headlines. Um, city's biggest cake mix-up. Yay. The particular, the sad attempt at humour was exactly right. The sort of thing that would cause much mirth around Mrs. Arcanum's table. Absolutely. And you reminded me of the best place to go to find amusing headlines. Of course, today we looked at the Plymouth Herald. Yes, I do apologise, Plymouth Herald, but I will never, ever, ever stop making fun of you. Until you hire me as a sub-editor, we can sort your fucking writing out. (laughs) However, fantastic headlines. (laughs) Today's main headline was Man Admits Torching Dereford Travel Lodge Hotel Room. Not the best, not the worst. Why would you go with the recent ones instead of the all-time classics, Joanna? I know I've got the all-time classics. I just (laughs) I wanted to say what today's was for posterity. Sure. sure. You pointed out the best classics are obviously the seagulls, such as Gull dies after man repeatedly kicked it for taking child's ice cream. Oh. (laughs) Psycho seagulls force family to be prisoners in their own home. Yeah, that's a good recent one. Yeah. Subheadline: Even their Staffordshire bull terrier crossbreed is petrified of the swooping birds. Mm-hmm. Man beaten up with a seagull in that, alleged Plymouth cafe attack. That is the that is my origin story. Yeah, that headline Jack read out to me started me off on my obsession with the local Plymouth news. Plymouth, by the way, a city which is many hundreds of miles away from where I am. <laughs> many hundreds? I don't know how big England is. Which is many hours drive away from where I am. <laughs> it's quite far away from us, Francie. You're fine. Uh, my favourite non-seagull related, but still ornithological, fears for small children after buzzard sweep to grab chihuahua. Beautiful. Beautiful. And of course, as we mentioned earlier, Gus Honeybutton would send coded messages to the LGBT plus community. As it, which does please me very much. Yep. Gay icon Gus Honeybun. Anyway, so yes. Headlines are fun. They Listeners, are. Listeners, if you've got great local ones, send them to us. I, p- I picked out some, some headlines I thought you'd enjoy for this occasion. Um, first of all, I did find a man bites dog, which I sent you. Oh, yes, you did. Uh, a clip uh, from, from The Guardian in 1950. 1950 yes. Uh, from Paris, uh, Monsieur Justin Droulet 
A chemist told the Paris court today that he bit his neighbour's dog because it was a messy little beast. He also punched the neighbour on the nose. The court fined him at five pounds in Paris, which is interesting. <laughs> Another area uh, in which sports writers uh, or sub-editors for sports pages, I suppose, shine is, is headlines. What uh, the mm-hmm. the classic in British uh, headline history is the February two thousand. Super Cali, go ballistic, Celtic are atrocious. Talking about an underdog football team beating then football giant Celtic. Mm-hmm. Uh, some other classics that, I, that I've got in my little file. We've got the famous American, I'd say, headline. Headless body in topless bar. Gunman forces woman to decapitate tavern owner. Uh, We've got an old Guardian one here, which I quite liked. A man, a plan, a canoe, Panama. Which is, of course, a palindrome. Yes. actually fits the story, which is about uh, uh, someone who disappeared in a canoe with ill-gotten gains. Um, And finally, uh, 2017 Times headline, End This Chicken Obsession Urges Fox. Which is when Liam Fox was telling people off for caring about chlorinated chicken being imported from America. Of course. I also want to quickly shout out the Florida man. Ah, sensation. <laughs> there is like an actual reason for it to do with, like, Florida is a state where you're allowed to report that a crime has happened from that state, whereas a lot of other states there's some weird protections. But I prefer to think that Florida man is just just out there living his best life. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Uh, from from Florida to horror. Hor- Horrida. Sorry. No, you were right not to do that. Um, <laughs> I do apologise. Yeah, I just thought, considering it's not really a... Well, there are definitely horrible moments in it, but mm. um, I, he puts in some really like bone-chilling moments, I thought. I, I liked the description of... Uh, of William Deward thinking about the, the gaunt shape of the press. Mm. And it's kind of brought up a surprisingly vivid vivid thing there, I thought. The bit where they meet the part werewolf in uh, Beers and Mr. Pin and Mr. Tulip watch the shadow grow on the wall. Yes. That's very hammer horrorish, I think. Yeah. And, um, but also really quite scary because, you know, Pin and Tulip are scared of this dude and we've very well established how scary Pin and Tulip are by this point. Yes. Uh, but finally, the most obviously horror, horrific moment is the um, the bit about the, the screaming shadows this, uh, with the dark light picture taken of Pin and Tulip. In the shadows were mouths screaming. In the shadows were eyes wide. They didn't move while you watched them, but if you looked at the picture a second time, you got a feeling that they weren't in quite the same place. There's some really dark bits in this book, yeah. and God, it's good writing. Yeah, and it's going to... And another bit I nearly put in there was um, the premonition about the silver rain, which, oh, which is, just... is dark because I know what it is, though. So, yeah, yeah. But there are lots more dark bits in the last bit of the book, obviously, but I just thought, yeah, a few real little horror moments there, which I enjoyed. Yeah, the, the silver rain moment takes us neatly into setting things up because that is a really mm. nice, deep, dark premonition for the next section. Yeah. 
uh, some other stuff. We obviously I talked about the lead into gold setup in the last section, and we get kind of a payoff here with mm. with Give Mountain explaining like, yes, we're turning lead into gold like the hard way. Yeah, <laughs> but explaining this uh, this thing from the the dwarf culture of kind of buying themselves off their parents. Mm. Which does make sense when it's explained, and it's a really nice setup for where we get to in in section three with William and his relationship with his father. Yes, and needing to to get closure there. And then the other only other bit I wanted to note was very small payoff to section one setup, which is that the inquirers reported of a strange figure sweeping around the rooftops of the unseen university. Half man, <laughs> half man, half moth, or the purser who it's established has been flying. But also, since I read that in my brain, I just keep repeatedly hearing, Mothman, I need to spend less time on the internet. <laughs> but yeah, the the big talking point then has to do with <clears throat> has to do with words and, and how they're used and the power and the, the damage. So do you, do you want to kick us off with a solid point before we start rambling? Well, I wrote the power of words brackets intimidating. Mm-hmm. Because I love the fear that's building up around William with his notebook. Yes. But the central pivot of this of this case, the, the murder mystery that's not really a murder mystery, that, but the police case that's the centre of the book, mm. are these stupid facts. The weight of the money. Yeah. Uh, the out-of-character veterinary, because he wouldn't stab Drumnot if he wanted Drumnot dead. Drumnot would just be dead. Mm. But there are these apparent truths. Veterinary was unconscious next to a horse with $70,000 drum knot was stabbed by veterinary mm. and how stupid facts start working is very much within this power of words thing is what we start saying with the inquirer I think um, the the whole as he said about veterinary uh, it was veterinary they saw talking I thought was nicely uh, kind of framed by uh, William asking the baker whether he was a baker or not. It's like, oh, I, I know what it looks moment. like. I'm still asking the question. And the baker's like, oh, yeah, you got me. I'm a butcher. <laughs> I enjoyed that moment. So, um, yeah, it's, it's the, the facts <laughs> as well as well, the facts. Yeah. And that moment happens as well while William is getting around the palace mm. using these sort of half truths. Like, yeah. Vimes said I could go to the kitchens. Yeah. I have spoken to Vimes. It's very much the painting of a pipe, isn't it? Yes. Um, and for someone who has this very intense relationship, you know, he says at one point when Vimes asks who he's answerable to, and he says, I'm answerable to the truth. And it's like, well, you've, got a, you've got a creative relationship there, haven't it? Like, you're not making things up, but mm. you know how to use the truth in a certain way. Yeah. This is very much who watches the watch, but with watch crossed out and media in next to it for the. the- yeah. <laughs> Who watches the William? Yeah, Doesn't there we quite go. Work. We can add another W. <laughs> but yeah, the, the watch um, is watching William. But the watch is watching, watching the- William. The William's watching watch. This is a tongue twister that I can't quite finish. And Vuffles is Avil. How much what watch would a William watchman word? Watch. For- <laughs> Oh no, this isn't going well at all. Quickly, remember when we had a podcast where we talked about things intelligently? No, no, good point. Um, but this aggressive writing things down at people—he he learns his power as this section of the book goes. We went like from a newsletter to a newspaper in the last section. Everything's happening very quickly, and mm. here he learns the power of having the newspaper and having the notebook. He starts writing things down at detritus and uh, 
Fine sort of has to have a Wednesday. Don't write things down at him. It's very kind. And then it just escalates with writing stuff down on the literal press while Santa's threatening yes. him. The amazing, stop taking down everything we say. Full caps for the whole sentence, please, Mr. Good Mountain, which is just a great book. Yeah, absolutely. And Good Mountain playing along because obviously he's not doing it quite that fast because like, like later on he said, shall I set this properly? Or, But yeah. Just the well, we just winding off. him up. Yeah, it's such a good. Yeah, the I think we talked about before many episodes ago the power of the notebook. Um, it's the clipboard high vis gets you into anywhere thing. No, no, like literally, I think we have talked about the the power, like the, how it unnerves people to write stuff down. I can't remember where it came up. Oh yeah, I think we have. But um, yeah, this is where I think Pratchett, who was obviously acid danced seen this, experienced it, enjoyed the little frisson of uh, illicit power and yes. um, has finally gotten a chance to write it properly here. <laughs> and you can see William like almost getting caught up a little bit in his own self-importance. Like mm. William is a little bit lacking in self-awareness, as you can see very much with how he deals with Sakharissa. Yes. And possibly a little bit wanky, and I prefer him a lot better when he starts working out what he's doing is when he's having a rant quite early on in this section. And um, uh, it's when he's writing up the first story after he's been to the palace. And Sakharis is sort of doing the, the, are you sure you're allowed to do this? He's, I don't know. I won't know if I'm allowed to do it until I've, I've done it. Yeah, so, I'm the first person to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a, a self-awareness in the book as well of how quickly we're just like rattling through history here. Yes. Like, <laughs> this is hundreds of years of debates and legal arguments and technological changes, and it's all happening in three days. But... And here it's, it's Fimes puts down his truncheon, and William puts down the book, and they have a conversation. The, uh, the clash of symbols. Ha <laughs> ha. Which is an interesting clash to have. Yeah, the, the notebook versus the truncheon, I thought was very good. Got me slightly wondering about what other professions you'd have, like an obvious symbol like that. Chef and your wooden spoon, obviously. Yep. What What about game developer? <laughs> <laughs> A keyboard soaked in tears. Yeah. <laughs> Bam. Oh no, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lots of things crashed today and everything's, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm about to go off on a tangent, so let's change the subject. Yes. But, what about sorry, a sub-editor? Red Biro. Yeah, definitely the Red Biro. <laughs> I, I've literally just had that moment of like, I've forgotten other professions. In yeah, my brain me went, too, well, yes. I, I don't believe I've ever heard of another job. <laughs> butcher, baker and candlestick maker, but I feel like we kind of went through the symbols of those professions <laughs> when we did heraldry. <laughs> Candle? <laughs> I've heard art brought that forth. Oh, no. <laughs> Puns. <laughs> oh god. Poor old Vetnari. God, he Poor goes through Vetnari. the ringer, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, the, talking about the power of words, this yeah. powerful the uh William's just learning this, but obviously some people are a lot more confident with it, like the committee to unelect him. Mm. And this method of character assassination. Mm. Rather than just killing him, it's this very quiet, you know, poor fellow, it was the strain of the office. Yeah. The least we can do is call off the watch. We owe him that much. And this sort of quiet putting him out to, to pasture. Yeah, which is something that happens all the fucking time. In oh, absolutely. 
and like directly fed from politicians to journalism to mm-hmm. journalists nowadays because it's obviously a very established relationship now which it isn't in Discworld yet but it's like the not to jump into fictional television rather than talking about the real world but the whole thing in Doctor Who with David Tennant very quietly saying of Harriet Jones doesn't she look tired to yeah. bring down her political regime mm-hmm Yes, yeah. Yeah, I guess it's two separate issues here, isn't it? It's the, the character, assassina- character assassination and the gentle way of getting rid of somebody without drama, the retiring early, the yes. unpaid, suspend- unpaid leave. On yeah, Which is, you have the problematic thing of people being pushed out who shouldn't be, but also people who should just be gone in disgrace and yes. said very gently put to one side. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Vesinari obviously being the former, we, we don't think he should be fired in disgrace. We think he should be allowed to be benevolent tyranting all of, all about the place. Yes. Not because of our political beliefs particularly, just because we enjoy him as a character. Yeah, pretty much. And we are that amoral. Oh, dearie me. And then I suppose the 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 truth is the the crux of it all, isn't it? And the truth and the what, truth. What, what the truth is, the big truth, the small truth, the nothing but the truth, but that doesn't mean anything. Um, this is the thing. William starts kind of learning that the truth is somewhat ephemeral and declaring himself as answerable to it is slightly pointless when yeah. everyone has a different one. Because the thing is, he could be answerable to the truth that Vetinari was trying to escape on a horse with $70,000. Yeah. Or he could be answerable to the truth that $70,000 weighs too much to get on a horse. Yes. It's the the question of journalistic integrity and journalism's, journalists being objective is a huge yeah. uh, discussion point. Um, Michael Hobbs, who does a couple of our favourite podcasts, actually has some very clever things to say on this. But the idea that a journalist can objectively report the facts and not be biased in any direction is a flawed idea completely. Yeah, um, human because, beings have biases. Yeah, and like actually this is the perfect example, the $70,000 on a horse. Mm-hmm. Even if you only report the facts, the choice of which fact to make prominent in that case, as in he was lying next to the $70,000 on a horse or $70,000 weighs three tons. Yeah shows which that's way you ch- want the reader to read it and yeah, that's its own yeah. bias thing yes and i that's a little there's not a huge degree of media literacy in the world and that it you know it's probably worth arguing that there shouldn't have to be there shouldn't have to be all these layers or whatever but there's i can't imagine a press without it no um um and it's it's nice you can see pratchett raging against the lack of media literacy here in this microcosm of Mrs. Arcanum's table. Yes. And using that as this tiny version of the big wider city and world. Yeah. Um, especially when the Inquirer comes out. Mm. And you start getting these theories about mystery fire. Um the, there's a there was a fire that the Inquirer called a mystery fire and said, Well it's not mysterious. He the guy was lighting a cigar while bathing his feet in turpentine. <laughs> This is the elf stole my husband, except he happens to also have a habit of running away with Flo from Hager's house of ribs. Yeah. And this is, of course, a different matter entirely again, isn't it? It's the reporting. This person said that, and that is true, but it's not news. It's only news if you want it to be news. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> and then and then you have the, the extra 
which I don't think we get into here, but the the Sunday sport level of everyone knows it's made of news. But But the problem is you get the Inquirer and you get people sort of stupid enough to believe that maybe elves did steal someone's husband because you do hear about that further off and it's not far from the Inquirer to pieces of news like the Daily Mail uh, and the stories of Schrodinger's immigrants who are simultaneously lazy and taking all the benefits while also taking all of our jobs. Mm -hmm. See, I'd say that's a different kind of newspaper. I think the Inquirer is more obvious tabloid and the mail is i'm not saying they're the same i'm saying belief Mm. in one leads to belief in the other once people can start believing something because they've heard it happens far away they're more likely to believe these kind of misreported facts of badly researched statistics and things that lead to these kind of schrodinger's immigrant type stories possibly i I feel like that's where some of pratchett's anger might have come from in this situation Maybe. I, th- I think it's a bit more insidious than that. I think the the, peop- the kind of people who read the mail and perhaps more so the Telegraph, other papers, are the kind of people who would think themselves too clever, obviously, to believe the Sunday Sport or to believe the Ankh-Morpork Pork Inquirer, uh, but would fall prey to the more subtle emphasis, bias, whatever, from a, a newspaper skewed one way or the other. You know, I shouldn't leave myself out of this i'm sure i am as well uh oh no i'm absolutely <laughs> very biased. yeah i, th- I think I, oh it's i don't easy think to it's get bogged down here but yeah <laughs> yeah no sorry i didn't mean to bog us down in these kind of conspiracy theory pipelines and things what i mean is a lack of media literacy and that's something you see very obviously here because this is a city that only just got newspapers yes so of course there's no such thing as media literacy yeah yeah can lead to problematic stories being believed and not just silly stories being believed. Yes. And that's something you see in this table. And it goes back to this thing from Veterinary of people wanting olds. People want to hear that elves stole someone's husband because, of course, that thing happens all the time. Because, and they want to, yeah. <laughs> because they hear about it happening far away. Yes. As with women giving birth to snakes and things. It's a terrible problem, I hear, in Haverhill. Yes, no, very much so. <laughs> I could believe it of Haverhill. As a, the, the kind of connecting issue here for me is um, whether those damages are made up for by the good that the press does, which is another, and I don't come down one side or the other on this, I should say right away, the small mistruths that add up to really change a society and which have been kind of jacked into hyperspeed since the internet um, yeah. and especially since algorithmic news feeds kind of stuff. Um, whether the good that journalists do kind of outweighs that because they are often supported by the same media organisations that are doing such bad things in the world and yet within there they have the investigative journalists that are doing a lot of good. I mean, for instance, um, the, the Mail on Sunday, that you mentioned the Mail, that mm. one of their supplements... Uh, live magazine, which is like the men's magazine supplement in the Daily Mail on Sunday, yeah. um, has a, or certainly had, I'm not sure if it does anymore, a reportage section which published long pieces on things like the, the, UN, the UN camps in Darfur and the plight of the Iranian Kurds. And did like the male or male journalists have done a lot of really good investigative work, same with the Telegraph, uh, yeah. same with the Sunday Times, which, you know, they're all damaging More in the right way and certainly yeah. pe- the people who own those are very damaging in tabloidy ways as well because obviously you've got the whole problem of all the newspapers being owned by several like two or three rich fucks but um yeah. <laughs> which is the whole thing but then 
Yeah. So I, I don't know if you ever if you got around to uh, listening to the investigative journalism. Uh, no, what's totally it? forgot about it. No, cool. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the so, sorry, half on about it, but like the pull for towards this year, I just thought like a couple of the shortlists. Yeah. Um, just to like underline how important this stuff is, like holding power to account, which gives the other side of the scales. Um, speaking truth to power of it all. Yeah. The so Hannah Al Osman and David Collins from the Sunday Times, um, the murder of Agnes uh, Wandiru, uh, who was a, a Kenyan woman who was murdered almost certainly by British soldiers in a Kenyan hotel. Right. And the soldiers have never been brought to account, never been interviewed even by the police. And this unsolved for a decade murder was solved within a month by these journalists because all it took was just someone fucking looking at it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if there's ever going to be anything come from that because the, the whole issue of how the military is brought or not brought to account in this country is really, you know, something we don't have time for. But um, yes. <laughs> so things like that. And then uh, the, there are prisoners in Britain now who are there indefinitely and maybe always will be for like stealing a phone in 2005 because of the imprisonment for public protection, indefinite sentences. And that was uh, Samantha Azumadu from Open Democracy, which isn't, you know, not really the yeah. same kind of media organisation, but <laughs> the I same kind of... I read a piece on that. I don't know if it was that particular piece that was uh, or, I expect, uh, nominated. I expect you did. This is... Yeah. Uh, it was fairly widely distributed and it's the kind of thing you would read. So, yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's all this kind of stuff. Uh, the, yeah. the kind of level of importance here. And there are people's lives and societies that change for the better or certainly for the more truthful because of these but does it can one exist without the other can this kind of investigative journalism exist without the profitable damaging media framework that's uh, uh, i again i have no answer but no me neither what Absolutely. is, what but is it's thing nice to get to... in a froth about at 2am i it's recommend nice to it. hold up a question mark <laughs> i feel like we should oh, just blame... oh yes let's get question mark cards <laughs> i feel like we should just blame cat- capitalism and the uh, patriarchy and then move on to the obscure reference video okay <laughs> I did almost keep going with saying cat- capitalism wrong. I've done it twice now. We should blame caterpillars. Mm. Um, I did want to say the the so not just the capitalism, but the kind of mass appeal of the olds and the news does tie yeah. into it again, which was the why was Boris Johnson toppled by his parties in Crest Pincher, not the flagrant corruption and huge law breaking for years on end? And the answer is, is the former make for more entrancing headlines. Yes. Um, and it's, yeah, you know, nature of man, all of that question mark for you. Off. <laughs> Which is how I say obscure reference for Neil now. Francine, do you have an obscure <laughs> reference for Neil for me? Because I refuse to say off. Okay. Well, you just did. So, and I edit Fuck. this. I can take that. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> I won't misquote you. That would Francine, be a bad do you have a real practice for me? Yes. <laughs> now you're making it sound like I did. Uh, O'Donnell, <laughs> Joanna. O'Donnell, that's what the bridesmaids will be wearing, isn't it? It is at Hermione King's wedding. Correct. Uh, on Brown World, uh, you will know, of course, that that translated to water of the Nile in French. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was fashionable in the late 19th to early 20th century, particularly. Partly fueled by Egyptomania, which I know you're interested in. Um, yes. You, you must have brought it up when we did pyramids, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, 
I brought I bring up this side of it because I'm going to link an article in the show notes in the Paris Review that you'll absolutely love, and I know a lot of our listeners will as well, which touches on things like fashion history, color theory, French novelists, uh, very you. Mm-hmm. This is where the striptease B thing was uh, mentioned. Ah, actually. yes, there love it. Um, okay, yeah, I need to read about all of this. It's very <laughs> me. But the main reason I brought this up was uh, Wiki L Space had cool annotations on the color Odenil. Um, mm-hmm. Soul music. Death tells a hermit that this is the color of infinity. Which yeah. Obviously, I don't think I would have remembered. <laughs> um, but Wiki L Space adds its annotation. Some years ago, eminent scientists worked out that what with the redshift and the constant expansion of the universe and particular conditions applying during the Big Bang, if the universe has a colour at all, it would be the sort of pale pastel blue-green which we otherwise know as Odinil. By a funny sort of coincidence, this is the nearest that we can get to approximating the eighth colour of the Discworld spectrum, octarine, which is described as a kind of bluey, purpley green colour, but not really. It is possible the universe has a lot of surprises for us to discover. This is a delight. Yes. I also like the kind of more airy-fairy little questioning tone you get in the, the wiki annotations. Um, annotated Pratchett File is a wonderful resource and because he was incredibly like, like objective yeah. and tried to be uh, confirm all this and that. Uh, but I do quite like the possible the universe has a lot of surprises for us to discover in an annotation. Because yes. <laughs> Someone on one of our socials, and I'm really sorry, I've forgotten where now, did ask us if we know why the annotations stop on annotated Pratchett file past a certain point. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure that I, I just I read this somewhere that I, I believe that Leo Vrebart simply couldn't put the time in anymore. And plus, once Pratchett wasn't as available to confirm, deny or contribute the facts, which was yeah. a massive part of APS value. Um, yeah. So the number of the annotations vaguely went down. It hasn't really been updated since 2005. So at some point, reasonably soon, we are going to hit the end of this resource. Yes. Uh, as, as I said to the uh, listener Townsend who messaged us, I will at some point soon go through uh, Leo's old alt.fan.pratchett posts and see if I can confirm or deny that half-remembered story. Marvellous. Okay. Sorry, uh, you didn't have anything more on Odinil, did you? No, 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 no. There's only Excellent. so much you can say on Odinil. <laughs> but it's more than Odinil. Oh, sorry. No. Francine. Oh, on Egyptomania, though, I'm very excited mm. because nephew's birthday, I've bought him his first Horrible Histories books. He's got Rotten Romans and Evil Egyptians. Absolutely fabulous. I fucking love I'm those so books. Excited. Terry Deary is a hero. Yep. I'm hoping I can get him into the TV series because it's genuinely very funny. Well, I never watched it, but clips have started coming up on TikTok because the algorithm has obviously got me down. I mean, it, uh, it, like, it came out once them. we were already adults, but obviously had a yeah. kid in my life I was watching it with. Yeah. And the group of people that do it is really funny. They're the same ones who now do Ghosts. I haven't watched that yet. I keep meaning. Oh, it's very funny. Yeah, I hear. I hear it's very nice and the kind of thing I would enjoy. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. See us out. Play us out, Joanna. I still need to go to Tesco. Yes. Yes, you do. Uh, Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Truth Shall Make You Fret. The name of the thing was in the thing. It was there. We did it. We did it. We'll be back next week with part three of The Truth, which had the words The Truth Shall Make You Fret. (laughs) You nearly did it. I did, I did, you which auto, goes from... You auto-complete your own sentences. <laughs> which that section goes from wherever this ended to the end of the book. 
starting with the new firm hurtled through the door of the empty mansion and bolted it behind them. Hey. In the meantime, however, dear listener, you can follow us on Instagram at the True Shall Make Ye Fret, on Twitter at Make Ye Fret Pod, on Facebook at the True Shall Make Ye Fret. Join our subreddit community, r slash TTSMYF. Email us your thoughts, queries, castles, snacks, albatrosses, and fast moving presses, the True Shall Make Ye Fret Pod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support us financially, go to patreon.com forward slash True Shall Make Ye Fret and exchange your hard earned pennies for some bonus nonsense. And please do rate and review us wherever you get your podcast because it helps other people find us due to the algorithms and of course just tell everyone you know about us i think that's the fastest you've ever rattled through the outro well done yeah i can't breathe now mm, fun and until next time dear listener i can't that is in prison See, now I can fucking say capitalism. <laughs> That's why we have caterpillarism. Yeah, absolutely. And eventually from that will emerge the beautiful butterfly of our podcast. Dun, dun. <laughs>